0: michael has been with me for 12 years this old comprehensive guide from 2011 michael Kadams lebanese wines i love the title uh i don't know if this is still in print it may not be so you want to buy it from me it'll cost a lot of money there's an edited book on the barrel in the back tears for Bechus. it's an edited book by you i checked that out but i've got the good stuff here now I've sobered up since I got this book so I used to be very good about Lebanese wine I don't drink Lebanese wine anymore I drink Diet Pepsi but I'm glad you're drinking Diet Pepsi with me (laughs) maybe we're both getting a little older (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe but this episode is not going to be specifically about wine I think Michael said it best this will be a vehicle wine will open the door to other subjects allow me to start With something I'm obsessed with, we mentioned it before we started, before we sat down, I'm a huge fan of a movie that you produced, you co-produced, Wine and War. If anyone hasn't seen this movie, find it on Amazon Prime. It's still accessible, is that right? accessible and free. Free. Wine and War, both subjects eloquently delivered by you. It's a fantastic film. And the opening shot in itself will get you sucked into a great story about culture and about tragedy and how a country navigates both. But I think tonight, if anything, we can focus more on the positive, the positive attributes and the things that persevere, even when the country is unrecognizable. So let's start with the movie and let's talk about the wine industry at large and maybe its impact in the last few years. I believe that film came out three years ago. Came out in 2020. 2020. Yeah. Things have only gotten worse since. And if I'm not mistaken, the last time we spoke was on my podcast Sa, yes. about the movie. Absolutely. So maybe some short reflection in the last three years. This industry, Lebanese culture, how it expresses itself during a time of collapse?
1: Well, I think, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Any opportunity that wine affords me to talk about my country and all the things I love about my country um, is one of the reasons why I started getting obsessed with wine from this country, with Lebanese wine. I, I grew up in England at a time when I was this Arab kid and uh, Lebanon was in the news again for all the wrong reasons. Civil war started when I was 10 in 1975. And I was constantly, well not me, but the country was constantly the butt of jokes, fighting later on, kidnappings, bombings, etc. And one day I walked into a wine merchant's on the old Brompton Road in Chelsea. And I saw on the shelf a bottle of Chateau Mouzart. And what drew my attention was it said, made in Lebanon. And I thought, wow. It really was a, a very significant moment because to me, the Arab world, the Middle East and wine were miles apart. And for me to be able to say, look, we are civilized people. We produce wine. We drink wine was a kind of light bulb moment and every time I could afford it, I think a bottle of Muzar back then was seven pounds, which was quite a lot. Um, I would take Lebanese wine, friends' houses, to dinner parties, uh, to their parents. And some of their parents would go, oh look, make wine in Lebanon? My God, how extraordinary, and better, but it was fine. I was doing my bit to not being the self-hating Arab, but just to show people that there was another side to Lebanon. Nearly 30 years on, 35 years on, I'm still doing that. Um, Wine gives me the opportunity to talk about everything that is good about Lebanon, about our history, about our heritage, about our values, about our traditions, about our I, I like I like this this phrase the generosity of spirit of the Lebanese wine can encapture all that, and I think that is why when I asked Ronnie if he was interested in talking about wine as soft power. I think it's very important that we that, that, that it is one of well it's our it's our most high profile export if you if you forget the cannabis it is it is um our, our most high profile export. And we should be celebrating it. We should be using wine as a vehicle to promote everything that's good about this country. I
0: hope the next time we speak, it's Michael Kadams, Lebanese weed. <laughs> 2025, let's say. I know, we've moved on. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into soft power, what that means. We'll let wine take us there. But I want to focus as much as I can on the three years since we last spoke. Okay. So 2020 until today. I think it's right before we started recording, you mentioned that plenty of these vineyards are either under duress or they don't exist right now.
1: No, no. I said there's plenty more. Plenty more? Yeah. There's only about 15 there or 15 or 16. There's about 60 now in the last 10 years. Oh, so the
0: increase is huge. Yes. Then in those last three years, what is the situation now for those that came into existence? over the past decade, where do they stand? Well, um, a lot
1: of the well since 2019 and the economic crisis that's that's hit the country. The Lebanese wine industry in late 2019 said, right, well, we've got hyperinflation. The economy is going down the toilet. We need to export. So they had one hand time behind their back. Then in spring of 2020, we had COVID. Suddenly, yeah. Lebanese wine producers had two hands tampon hand in their back because they couldn't export. Yeah. So it's been a really, really difficult time. I haven't got their books to see how they're doing, but they're all still, they're all by and large still there. And I think that in the last two years for the wine nerds out there, there's been a real, um, development in terms of really exciting styles of wine that are coming through and the the types of grapes that are being used. There's more interest in indigenous grapes, grapes that are are from Lebanon than before. The industry is becoming more rounded. We weren't just copying French or New World wines. Now we are looking to our heritage, looking to our terroir, looking to make wines that really reflect who we are. So not just wines of great value and great quality, but wines with a real sense of identity. And I think that is the most joyous um, aspect of the industry, especially in the last three, four years when things have been really shitty in this country. But there is a movement that is, I hope, irresistible and Lebanese wine is just going to keep on going and getting better and becoming more Lebanese and becoming more exciting.
0: So let's say, and without naming them necessarily, but the sustainability and the movie itself, I think, hints at that these vineyards with these winemakers can survive both the July War, which I think is a heavily focusing on the movie, and the Syrian War. And we even go to Syria briefly in the film and talk about Syria, Syrian wine. The movie, of course, doesn't include the blast. It doesn't include this tremendous collapse. The word perseverance and the wine industry, do you think they go hand in hand? That this is not necessarily for the huge names, the names that we know, not the big brands, more like the smaller, medium size that, Came up in the last decade.
1: I think, I think, you know, and I think this word has been really overused since the blast. But resilience is—it's uh, horrible word—the resilience of the Lebanese winemaker and and the Lebanese entrepreneur in general. Because wine and war was a, a tribute to the Lebanese entrepreneur, mm. seen through the lens of the wine industry, going back thousands of years. I mean, I was sitting on the beach in Sidon when they excavated the Phoenician press. And Dr. Helen Sardad from the AUB was telling me that the Lebanese that have always—we were talking about this earlier—always had to look beyond their shores to seek opportunities because they're always being fucked over by
0: somebody. Sorry. And no, the first five minutes, YouTube flags it. I think we're past five, so you can curse okay. as much as you um, like. Who was fucked over? <laughs> the,
1: the the people of <laughs> the, the, what is now the the. the Lebanese coast. So they yeah. were always seeking opportunities abroad in the same way we, we all seek opportunities abroad now. So that film is a, is, is a testament to this amazing plot of land that is today Lebanon that was in the past Syria, part of Syria, it was, it was Phoenicia, um, that trading spirit and that indomitable spirit yeah. The ability to not give up, the ability to find solutions. This is what the Lebanese do well. They find solutions. And the wine industry, the winemakers, they've had to, you know, I'm ashamed that they aren't in here tonight. They were finding solutions all the time in the last three, four years, whether it was finding petrol to run their wineries, mm. electricity problems, currency problems, it's what we do best.
0: Now, two things we'll touch on later and more in depth, narrative, and really expression and what that means but you mentioned though, which i thought is quite important archaeological site and you're there finding a first f- uh, press is that correct that expression versus more recent events in Saito, protesting over swimwear i know they're not the same story i know maybe one is rich in antiquity and history and meaning the other one is more fleeting but just in terms of a battle among two narratives and one coastal city, do you see one in your lifetime emerging as triumphant and the other one maybe fading? Meaning, the positivity, while it still remains now, is not necessarily guaranteed long-term. Because in my limited lifetime, I think I'm beginning to see the latter take hold. And I don't know if you share that kind of assessment, maybe you have more wisdom in this, You're obviously more involved in this industry. How would you, let's say, shape it in the near future as one maybe fighting while the other one fades?
1: No, I think, I think that's why we need to uh, steal back the narrative Mm. because any form of religious extremism is not what Lebanon is about, I don't think. Which is, you might find that's quite ironic, given it's a country built built on sectarianism, mm. but it's also built on consensus. And I just think that whenever we have a situation where extremism pops its head above the parapet, it is why we need to work extra hard at, at, at reminding people that we are a, a pluralistic... Um, as, um, uh, lost for words, a pluralistic and, and liberal society.
0: That word consensus I think is uh, often dismissed, and I think it's critical, because those two words side by side, sectarianism and consensus, I think defines modern Lebanese history and everything around it. But knowing that there's two individuals in this room that do this for a living, think it's quite important as well there are people that work for this let's touch on other countries and how they handle this Um, other countries that are known for their wine and also known for conflict and sometimes culture wins in terms of recognition Uh, we mentioned briefly before we started even a country like south africa under apartheid chile argentina south american dictatorships we know that political problem but we also know their wine. Well, I would say that even with South Africa,
1: the, the troubles of the past have not been erased. But the narrative in South Africa now is very much tourism, is big. Um, and part of that tourism is wine tourism. South African wine is drunk everywhere. And people go to South Africa, and they don't talk about the townships. Maybe they should do. It. I, I don't know. But everyone I know who go they say we go, oh, and we eat the most amazing food, and we we have we have the greatest wine we've had, and and that just shows how one product can shift a narrative from from misery, unfairness, inequality to the bright side of the road. You mentioned Chile pinochet the junta i think when people think of chile now they think of well in in the uk it's 100 million bottles a year are drunk 100 million chit wine bottles of chilean wine are drunk
0: in the uk in the uk 100 million yeah. bottles of chilean wine yes oh wow that explains how the uk is handling its current mess well <laughs>
1: Okay, let me ask you this. Let, let's put things in perspective. How many bottles of wine are, are produced in the world every year?
0: You oh, think That I don't know. Have a guess. So, you know, someone once told me, asked me how many chickens are there on the planet. Turns out there's like 10 billion chickens. More than humans. I didn't know. So yeah. I'm going to guess. It's maybe a few billion.
1: 36 billion.
0: 36 billion. billion. Yeah.
1: So... 36 billion. France does about 4 billion. Italy does 4 billion. Spain's coming up on the inside. They're going to be the biggest producer in the world eventually. So, you know, Chile's 100 million. The UK's not not a huge amount in the global scheme of things.
0: Uh, It's unrelated maybe, but it does come back to Lebanon. How many bottles do we export? About
1: 11 million with a good wind behind us. 11 million? How many
0: are we drinking here?
1: About half that.
0: Oh. How do we get how do we get to a billion? That's we don't. A, we don't.
1: We don't. We don't even get to we don't even get to how much Chile sends to the UK.
0: Yeah. I interrupted you, sorry. So no. the so the tourism and r- narrative. I sense that wine can also make a It makes country.
1: people happy. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of civilization. It's a symbol of, of devotion, you know, it's a, of religious devotion. It's a symbol of, of culture. It's a symbol of, it, it captures so much. And our, our 11 million bottles are so precious.
0: They are so precious to what we're about. So then let's touch on why Lebanon doesn't emulate that. Can you explain why our tourism industry isn't focusing more on wine? Because it sounds like it makes sense. A three countries that could well be dysfunctional politically have a huge wine surplus, and they're inviting tourists to taste their wine. Lebanon struggles, I think.
1: Well, before we go into that, I think we need to remind people, and not remind people, maybe tell people, they don't know, that before the Phoenicians were selling their wines, they were the, I mean, the Phoenicians were the first wine merchants. They were the first people to put wine on in jars Put them on boats, and like Lebanese have been doing ever since then, creating trading outposts across the Mediterranean. So the Phoenicians introduced wine to Rome, to Greece, to Spain, to Crete, to Sardinia, even to France. I mean, we were were making wine 1500, 1500 BC, the French started making wine 500 BC. So imagine someone, a Phoenician trader, comes back from France to Sidon or to Biblos and he goes, hey, you, you're not going to believe who's making wine now. It's the French. We were doing it long before they were. So I think it's important to understand our, our heritage. We are one of the, if Georgia made wine first, we were the first people to sell it, to bottle it and sell it. Now, but, but
0: that recognition being the first, and today I'm guessing being among the last in terms of countries that are exporting. Yeah, we're, we're tiny. Right. We, is we, that simply because of market, that other countries are doing it for natural reasons and we don't have the capacity? I mean, In other right. words, is 11 million still okay? Ele- 11 million is, it's okay, yeah. It's I mean, okay. we,
1: could, we could do with having 50. Mm. Israel does 50. We could easily do that if the bekar, if there was an, an initiative, yeah. to plant the bekar. But no, no one sees the the economic advantages, or no one apparently sees the economic advantages, nor the the soft power mm. ad- advantages. You you ask me why our tourism is not predicated on wine. Well, I don't think we were, we were getting the right tourists. Right. If we had European tourists, we wouldn't be exporting as much wine because it would all be drunk at
0: home. So let me then—it's a bit off script, but I think yeah, that's no, fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, the last ten years, the number went from some fifteen to sixty
1: in terms mm-hmm. of producers.
0: Producers, yes. Yeah.
1: But the actual volume of wine didn't increase that much because so, oh, I Because all these producers were doing. 30,000, Right. They're small, but in a way, that's what Lebanon should be about. We're a small country. We but, don't need a big Chateau. Okay, we have Chateau Xara. It's a great producer, great history, great heritage. It wasn't for Chateau Xara, the wine industry wouldn't be here here today. Yeah. But we need. We're a boutique country. We need small boutique producers making high quality.
0: So, in that wine scale, let's say on a on a local level the number the total numbers aren't changing much but the number of producers skyrocketed that's a 500% increase yeah. in a decade is that for local consumption
1: no it's all the, still the local consumption is still 50-50 local and exports
0: so why did the producers why why did it increase so much in one decade why did it go from roughly 15 to 60 during the syrian war during everything that went wrong financially yeah.
1: because i think people I've got to be careful what I say here. I, I mean, a lot of people start wineries I can, I can for different it. reasons. So sorry, say people that, yeah. start wineries for all sorts of reasons.
0: Yeah, but name names,
1: and you can uh, list them alphabetically. No, no, I'm not, because because I think it's a good thing. Oh, I it's see. a good thing. Even if you're doing it as a vanity project, even if you haven't really thought it through, it's a good thing. We need oh, to make more wine, and we so need this to sell so,
0: somewhat experimenting with the industry. It wasn't necessarily a, a business plan that was easy to- No, 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 yeah. no.
1: This is this is all individual initiatives, like everything right. in, in in this country. Mm-hmm. Once someone starts a trend, it follows. I mean, people open up. and there's the younger generation. They have a vision about what they want to do. They see what wine has been doing in the rest of the world. And uh, Parah was telling me earlier, She's just been with a guy called Mahed Harb, who's got a, a little winery in B- called set. Oh, sure, I know. So. And
0: oh, yeah, I know I'm him from Mahir Facebook. Yeah.
1: Mahed is a great example of a a young man with a little plot of land and a vision and determination. And now he's out of nowhere, through a force of personality, through an understanding, an instinctive understanding of what the wine world wants, and he's got a good sense of aesthetic, he has, and he's making 30,000 bottles a year. He is punching above his weight in terms of uh, exposure. And so, doing one, more, well.
0: one more question on these numbers, and then mm. we can get more okay. into maybe yeah. the history of trade and, and Lebanon mm. at large. Uh, is this simply a matter of stability to get the numbers from something like 11 million to 50 million? Does that simply require stability, political stability? Or is it an issue of what you hinted at already in a way that the spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit is so competitive sometimes in this country that you end up with a lot of half-assed ideas and they don't necessarily stick?
1: I think if the government was going to get behind wine, that boat has already sailed, at least for the time being. Land is expensive. Hmm. That's a big big factor. And uh, I mean, I would be very surprised. Actually, I don't know, because because the story is about massive plantings in the northern Bekar now. There's about another 4000 hectares that are being planted. Now, if that is being planted, and, and, and the grapes are used for wine, then we could go to 25 million
0: in the next five years. That's being planted by private by private huh? individuals, yes. Private individuals. Everything's private in the okay. Lebanese wine industry. So the the numbers are increasing despite collapse.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's quite interesting that there is a market that is growing in Lebanon, and it's something that is tourism dependent too. But respected to a degree, here there are local connoisseurs, and we can go now back in time to a subject I think uh, you wanted to go deep in. It's really the ethos of the movie wine and war. It's Lebanon's rule not just in the neighborhood, across the Mediterranean, and its history in trade. I'll let you steer the ship for this section, with your permission, because I know it's something that you want to celebrate more. You want people to be more aware, maybe, or more proud of Lebanon in time and its rule, so you have the floor. Yeah,
1: yeah I, th- I think when we, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, I think when we did... Wine and War. We chose wine because it's a sexy subject, but really the film was a a celebration of the Lebanese entrepreneurial spirit. Um, We, yeah, I I mean, I, I mean, that was it. We just wanted to celebrate all those. Lebanese who've had to go abroad, who've had to stay here, people who had to flee during the Civil War. They ended up in America, Canada, Australia, whatever. They ended up opening hardware stores or supermarkets or bakeries because they had to. They weren't bakers. They weren't hardware merchants. They weren't. But they just, you know, trial and error. They made mistakes. They sent money back. They kept the country afloat. They're still keeping the country afloat. I don't know what, what percentage of... GDP, foreign remittances are, but I think, in the last three years, if there weren't families in in Detroit and Melbourne and Kinshasa and London sending three four hundred bucks back a month, then we'd be people would be in a lot more trouble so than the they posi- were. So
0: where's the positivity in this story? I really want to know because I know you. It's
1: it's an amazing story. Okay,
0: so let's let's
1: try to focus the on diaspora, the diaspora. The diaspora story of the Lebanese diaspora. Is is a fabulous one. No? Mm. Ever since that first Phoenician trireme set off with its cargo of of wine and olive oil and and purple dye and and, and glass, mm. the Lebanese have gone abroad to seek better opportunities. The Gulf was built by 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 Lebanese engineers. Um, you know the that the, they're doctors. They are. They are musicians. They're entertainers. I mean, you get these cheesy books written about famous Lebanese abroad. We've done well. We've done well. And I think Wine and War was, was in in a way, celebrating that. Do you feel over
0: time this is more life support to Lebanon than taking skills and sharing them? Because over time, I think that sounds, and I'm a hopeless romantic on Lebanon, but I'm also getting slightly more jaded over time. And the examples you listed, I can think of all the people I know in all those places sending money back. It's more like if Lebanon lives in that sense, it's living there, not here.
1: It's a survival network that we've had for thousands of years.
0: Explain this more to me. What do you mean by that? I've heard you say this several times. So, I'll say two things. One, I'm glad you're not uh, ashamed of referring to Phoenician history. I've met many guests that are shy to address this subject. Why? Because it becomes political. Because of identity? I think it trickles. It enters a different world of Christian identity, Christian anxiety. No,
1: no, no. I'm not going there. Yeah, you talk
0: about it as an industry almost. Wine during the Phoenician. I mean. No, no. I'm talking about it as part of.
1: Who we are, because you take any Lebanese and you give them back of the envelope and you give them a business idea, they'll go, Yeah, hang on, okay, well, that, that, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I think, you know, that may go. And it is that that I want to celebrate. This, this, this we, we are, and I use this word, uh, I deliberately, we are the smartest people. Well, one of the one of the smartest people in the world, and when I mean smart, I don't just mean intelligent. We can be quite devious at times, but we are we're clever. We're clever, and I think we, we may not be we not be hugely artistic. We're definitely not as cultured as it, as we think we are, because that's not who we are. It's not drives our society. What drives our society is transaction. And again, that was something what I was what I wanted to highlight in the film. We are transactional people. I'll give you this; you give me that. And that's what we've always done. And so, that's the Phoenician the legacy I'm talking about. I'm not going on about. I don't want to say that I'm Phoenician because, because I'm a Maronite, and I don't want to be associated with. with. No, no, that's 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 been hijacked by. I mean, that that was a civil war trope.
0: Mm, I so, think so. Commerce, trade, bringing that into the Phoenician angle, or let's say, I, making identity more appealing. I think yeah. Th- that sounds to me more like a narrative issue that's not on the table. It's a, it's a one of narrative. Is that, is that a fair way of describing it? Because I don't hear people. It's, refer-
1: it, it, it's a trait. It's a, a trait. trait. It's about survival. It's all about survival. Being Lebanese is all about surviving. I think. It's all about sending money home. It's all about your father telling you, get an education, security, 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 save, get married, build the house, then build another floor on top of the next house, and then, and then get married and build another floor, floor for your children. And, you know, that's it. It's all about insurance, about guarantees, get that degree. Dad, I don't want to play in a band. No, no, you don't want to play in the band. No, you are can become an accountant. Mm. There are a lot of frustrated musicians out there who are cardiologists. Mm. But, but that's
0: the Lebanese way. It's all about security. But I've heard you say it before you want to reclaim the narrative. Yeah, our narrative. What is that exactly? Okay, I want
1: to reclaim the narrative about our food. I want to reclaim the narrative about who we are as a people, a diverse culture, uh, the diverse um, uh, people that can live together. It's about our generosity of spirit, about our traditions. This country... Has, is so vibrant. I just wish there were more Jews left in the country because you can imagine when Israel was created and all the Jews from all over the Middle East were sucked into this new new construct, it deprived Lebanon and the other countries in the region of, of this wonderful balance that we had, Muslim, Christian, and Jew. And I'm not a particularly religious person, but on a, on a social level, I think the interaction between these three groups was really important and that 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 imbalance has gone but what Lebanon has it has more more balance than a lot of other countries we should be celebrating that we're celebrating our history our heritage the food our our just way of life the way way we live our kindness we are kind people and I come back to wine can be a great vehicle for for promoting all this so
0: it's again off script a bit but this touches a bit on politics not the usual politics not whether jihad as old is being ushered in or not not that stuff um talking about two things really how you get to that point where you're able to celebrate the positive and that's really cultural expression i think everything you listed should be a neutral subject anyway food Drink, maybe, depending on how religious you are, but I think to, at least to a certain degree, it's considered an attribute in Lebanon. Lebanon, Lebanese wine is not frowned upon locally to a point that you dismiss it. On the contrary. Art, music, and the like. Do you think of that as consequential to stability? Because I hear you saying we should be fighting to hold on to what we're good at, but we also see things moving in a direction that doesn't allow it there, there are some things we can't change obviously and i think that was the message of the movie too is that don't bet on a bright future wine and war is not the the future is uh, going to be prosperous no it's saying this is part of the dna that you have to find your way but you're talking on a more positive side here
1: wine will not disarm hezbollah but, in its own minor way, can contribute to a a movement that will
0: eventually see the Lebanon that at least I hope most of us hope for. Okay, so let's say, given the circumstances we live in, that's the last question I'll ask on politics. It's fine. what What can you do to make that happen? Is this an issue of infrastructure, more support? For ideas to stick, I mean, how does it work? And let's let's touch on wine in particular. We can go to other subjects too.
1: As I said, it's not going to change anything, but it can, it can remind people that we are not just a country of chaos, instability, mm. conflict, war, intolerance. We are much greater than that, mm-hmm. and these things are in the timeline of history. Very, very short-lived. Israel has only been around for well, whatever, I'm not very good at maths, but less than less than 100 years, 80 years. It might disappear tomorrow and it'll be a footnote for history students in, in 200 years time. So
0: I worry the opposite. I worry Lebanon will be part of our history. And I think, uh, you know, I, I see the what you what you describe is the lebanon i think of all the time but i over i don't see it working for reasons that are beyond our control well
1: then look at it as a state of mind sorry mm. i mean that might yeah. be a bit kind of well you know whatever but i mean look, look at it as a as a state of mind yeah. i do mm. I, I mean i live in i live in the uk now i have done for the last 10 years but i i i every time i Talk about wine, and I talk about wine all over the world. I've been to Japan, talk about Lebanese wine. Been to the U.S., been to Europe. Um, wine gives me the privilege to not just support an industry, but to remind people of what a beautiful country and what a beautiful people we are. Yep. Is that making a dent? Is that making a dent in anything? Who knows? But I think it's incumbent on all of us to to you know.
0: Well, since I'm no wine expert, I'll leave the better questions related to wine to the Q&A. Okay. I'd like to go down a slightly different road. I wanted to save time for this. Okay. I know Michael not from wine or not from this encyclopedia, Lebanese wines, 12 years ago. I know you from journalism. And I know you as a pioneer in digital media. And there's something we don't really talk about that much, maybe because... Maybe because those it's names that are not long they're not with us right now, or maybe they've gone away and returned in a different flavor Daily star you were there for what six years three years three three years sorry my math is worse than yours. that's right three years you were at executive sorry no sorry Daily star two years Daily star two years yeah,
1: executive for five years
0: that's right. So Daily Star for two years. Executive as an editor?
1: I was the editor. You were
0: the editor for five years. An executive is still around. Yeah. Daily Star is not. And you helped set up Now Lebanon. Yeah. Long ago. Now Now Lebanon returned about two years ago. I was part of it for one year, but it's not the same institution. But I'd like to go back a bit into the world of expression. And I think this ties into cultural expression It's also freedom of expression through the written word. You helped start a Lebanese digital media platform in English and Arabic. I think if there's a spirit that goes back to what we both felt 20 years ago, it's whatever is left. It's the ghosts of Martyrs Square and the ghosts of March 14. You really had a narrative and you went with it, not just you. There's a team, there's a, like an all-star team. And some of them are still here. Michael Young is here. Eli Khoury is still here. <laughs> He's relaunched now Lebanon, but it's a different time right now. I want some retrospect on the battle that you fought in trying to deliver a narrative that was mostly political. And I think it's safe to say at this point, it didn't work. And it didn't stick. And I don't blame anyone in that team for that failure. I think these are the same things that prevent what you're talking about, and culture, and food, and hospitality, from really taking off in this country. I really think that's the story. But you tell me. Well,
1: and there are some people who are not here with us because they they were sadly um, they were sadly liquidated by the Syrian regime at the time. I think it's important to mention during that period and. You know you know this more than more than anyone else there were the systematic liquidation of opponents people who wanted to who were c- committed to Lebanon and Lebanese democracy and, and a voice and in, independence um listen it was a it was a crazy time um, looking back from two thousand and five uh, I never thought the day would come when when the Syrian regime would be forced out of this country. I think there were some geopolitical factors going on at the time that m- made it easier, but I think Damascus overplayed its hand. Um, and then there was that moment of optimism. Then we had the July war in 2006. Um, and as you say, it was at that point that we decided that there needs to be more of a concerted effort in uh spreading word of lebanon's credentials lebanon's democratic credentials and in a way this ties into soft power yeah because we wanted to produce a website that that kind of you know not only gave the news but also features on on culture and what's going on in lebanon you know just highlighting the country um as a whole i i think it was a it was, we had a window. We had an opportunity. I know there are people in this room who may not agree with me, but there, there was a window of, of opportunity that I think that had we taken it, Lebanon would have gone down a different path. Um, Mark, the forces of what we now, what was then called March 14, were were thwarted. I think they didn't, there were some elements that didn't do themselves any favours either. But I think that was in my, my relationship With Lebanon I'm now 58 Um, that was probably the most optimistic and yet frustrating time now and I feel let down because a lot of people died a lot of people uh, gave a lot of themselves to try and push it but I think ultimately old old Lebanese habits kicked in
0: is there any comparison and I know you, you weren't necessarily here, but watching October 17 and then the digital media landscape really take off again. And it's in a different way. Do you sense that there's some analogy there? And I'll give you an example. An outfit like Megaphone or Dadaj, do you think of them as, in a way, parallel to what you were doing a- almost 20 years ago?
1: Yeah, I wasn't here, though, for the Thawra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, frustratingly Um, but I sensed there was more of a genuine commitment to change funnily enough because the anger I think was more visceral Mm. Um, and again I don't know what's happened because nothing much has changed as far as I can see you can have half the capital city blown up this whole neighborhood devastated not one person losing their job
0: last point before we get to the break uh it's it's kind of a nice way of thinking of lebanon you spoke about branding and the value of a brand like lebanon i don't think i've heard anyone refer to this country that way it's almost like uh it's like a visual asset that lebanon could represent something and it's worth something and you still believe it's worth something. So let's get into that. What what do you mean by branding? I said I said
1: Lebanon still got a very strong brand equity. Brand
0: equity. Um,
1: yes. and I I really do because it 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 despite when did the civil war start? So 48 years ago the whole Paris of the Middle East thing um, stopped. And yet there is still the vapor trail of that today and the images of that so-called golden age. It probably wasn't as golden as people think it was, but the, but the images of that golden age, of Lebanon being a, a major tourist destination, of the Lebanese lira being a hard currency, was quoted up there with the yen and the Swiss franc. Um, Middle East Airlines was the premium Arab airline. Um, the hotels, the 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 images, the music. It's if if I was work if I was an ad man, and I wanted to. I was given the brief to sell Lebanon. I would definitely have those images in my mood board.
0: Um, How much is it worth? <laughs> I don't know. Is it adjusted? <laughs> No, I mean, I think of this. equity, It's a nice way of looking at the country, but has it lost some of its value, or is that is that equity that is permanent? I mean, no, I, no,
1: I think I think it needs dusting down. Dusting. Definitely. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, if if you want to resuscitate Lebanon's glamour, it needs a bit of dusting down, but it's still there. You can do it. I mean, I brought a group of ten people from the UK wine trade to Lebanon last week, I have never seen so much love in one room on our last evening in the restaurant we were for this country. It was genuine. They'd only had 48 and a half hours, whatever, two and a half days here. And admittedly, we, they were taken to some of the best restaurants in town. So they were getting the, the totally varnished um, view view of the country, but they were so impressed
0: and um, <laughs> this is exactly right exactly you can't yeah how do you i mean you can't no that's how it works yeah you can bot you, you if you could bottle <laughs>
1: it and sell it I'll tell you, the it's, lebanese vibe is really is really infectious
0: <laughs> you know beyond brand equity and the narrative and the role that we played and trade and all that and the entrepreneurial angle it sounds like a generosity and it's it's almost like a generosity of spirit Mm. that you can still have a fantastic time in a crippled country is that what you're meaning
1: yeah and i don't want to compare but they I, i mean i live in i live in england everything works there's a health service there's roads there's everything and yet people moan it's the default setting people are always complaining and yet here everyone's smiling Everyone's happy. Everyone wants, every- just, just positivity. And that is what I've been really impressed with on this trip is the positivity. And again, this is an asset that we need to push because we're not murky guys with beards and guns. No, we're happy people. We are genuinely happy people.
0: You know, I'll, I'll wrap it up with a final question. I know we, we talked about it already in terms of Saida and how that plays Mm. with the movie and antiquity i'll try to make it i'll try to make it as inclusive as possible uh last week on mtv podcast i interviewed dancers from chicago arabia Mm -hmm. this is a burlesque performance at the casino it's provocative but it's really good and it's an artistic expression through Lebanese singers and dancers. It's Chicago told in a Lebanese way. So there's Lebanese names, Lebanese narrative, even NGOs are brought up into the conversation, making it very present. That can happen at casino. And Saida can happen the same weekend. So both are true. And you said gunmen were not gunmen with beards. I don't know. I think some of us are
1: well, some of us know yeah
0: yeah but i don't know if the ro- mm, the lebanon that i share with you i don't think is the majority i think it's a minority but it's not the minority that some uh, extremists portray not the sort of canton-like exclusionary lebanon not that there's a cosmopolitanism that's declined severely and that's what I mean in terms of how do you do how do you do what you're suggesting while that is irreversible irreversibly disappearing? Is it irreversibly? Everything you said, including it's an interesting subject because I've done so many episodes on this. The diversity, religious diversity, not the knee-jerk, the real richness, the real mosaic. It's not here. I I think someone sorry to interrupt even things that we take for granted the Armenian population of Lebanon has sharply declined we don't really talk about it because maybe there's a political way of preserving political power but in terms of numbers the numbers are so low and that's a community we think of as Lebanese through and through we don't think about it even the Armenian community
1: It's funny. Sometimes I think that Lebanon has never been one thing at any one point anyway, ever since its creation, when it got its independence uh, in 1943.
0: Good job, Michael. Good job.
1: I I think we've, we've always been, we've always reflected the spasms of the region. So I might be contradicting in a way what I've been saying before, but Lebanon, we've never been anything. We've never been the same thing, and yet I do believe there is this thick seam, like a vein running through through a rock, that that always that will stay the same, and it's something that is that is just inherent in us. We might be we might be a Lebanon. That is a reflection of the current standoff between Sunni and Shia Islam. It might be a Lebanon that we, but there might be a Lebanon as a reflection like it was in the early 70s between, between the Christians and the, and the, the Palestinian backed Sunnis. It might be a reflection of, of the whole 2005 Cedar Revolution. Because we are so, because we are such a diverse country, when the region, when the tectonic plates of the region moves, Lebanon adjusts accordingly. But the Lebanese, mm. being Lebanese, remains the same. And you said that people are leaving, the Armenian population is declining, the Christian population um, has declined. If you listen to the paranoid Maronite headbangers talking about talking about the, the amount of people that have left the country but the paranoid the, uh,
0: Maronite headbangers uh, these are like what rock Maronite? Uh, <laughs> kind of like,
1: uh, anyway um the
0: but the notion of
1: being Lebanese, <laughs> the, the notion of being federal yeah oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry point is yeah. they come back I hope they do. I'll leave the episode with a cliffhanger that goes into the q and okay. I've done episodes with a friend of ours, Nadim Shadi. Mm-hmm. Nadim is one of my favorite guests because he makes me rethink many things. And he often makes me rethink words. Uh, one of those words is cosmopolitanism. And he compares Beirut in a way as a city that served a function for a long period of time. And it doesn't anymore. And therefore, the richness that you're talking about naturally disappears, like it did with other cities, Izmir, uh, Alexandria. To a degree, to a degree, Istanbul. That Beirut is just a more severe version of that in a shorter period of time, in our lifetime, losing its role, and therefore it turns into something else. And he even mentioned a city, and there was a guest a few weeks ago who mentioned it, Maan in jordan a once important trade route on the way to mecca an intersection that grew into a flourishing city it's gone and maybe beirut naturally ends up in that space because it doesn't serve what it's supposed to do and your movie One and war talks about that role but i think it's a role that up until now was there i don't know if it's there anymore
1: I think, as a patient, Beirut is and Lebanon is is is, is it's, it's it's it's. I think I think Nadim is right. I think we're in danger of losing. Beirut is in danger of losing its identity because of the the catastrophic decline in the banking sector.
0: Um, and one of his pieces, it's remarkable. Mm. In the nineteen forties, there's something like six or seven banks in Lebanon. By the early sixties, there's sixty banks. So in less than two decades, money. You mentioned the Jewish population you wish was still here. Lebanese Jewish population increases, doesn't decrease post-Israel. So there's something about ah, really
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, okay.
0: it went from seven thousand to roughly seventeen thousand Syrian and Iraqi Jews that settle here.
1: So when did they? When did they all leave?
0: 1958 and then 1967 really is the mass okay. exodus and now it's less than whatever it's non-existent uh,
1: the the great palestinian lebanese banker yusuf baydas who was the chairman of intrabank at the time he said that lebanon is to money what the suez canal is to shipping and and I mean, it, it's true yeah and i think that unless we can unless the banking sector somehow managed just to Regulate itself and to regain mm. its credibility and trust yeah. you can 't see it doing it anytime soon then then I feel that that cosmopolitanism that 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 mm, nadine was was talking about um, might be eroded yeah but there is a natural cosmopolitanism that the Lebanese have you know we are a very outward looking country we do speak many languages um and I think that, that that is something that we, we should also embrace in m- my list of qualities that, that we need to keep on reminding the world about. Our, our human capital. Let's end on that. Our human capital is fabulous.
0: We'll end it there. We'll let the Q&A be maybe uh, wine-oriented. Anything and Maybe slightly more friction because I think it would be fun to have really what it looks like down the road. I'd like talking to you about uh how you see lebanon over time because i used to read now lebanon i used to read the daily star i think of you as one of those lebanese patriots that maybe took a step back so when you talk about lebanon today i'm more curious how you see it and many in that generation that were trying to do the right thing they're not here anyway we'll leave it there order whatever you'd like let's take a 10 minute break okay. and then we'll have a q a thank you michael thank you <clears throat> Let's make the Q&A fun, lots of fun. Let's make it about wine too, because really that's, I think a lot of people came to listen about wine. Maybe some are drinking wine as well. I see glasses of wine everywhere. Uh, but the first person, the honorary questions, two questions goes to Farah Barro, who doesn't want to ask any questions. So let's make her ask two questions. I need to plug her as much as I can, really. No, the reason I got into podcasting and the expert on wine. So, and of course, a friend.
2: Okay, first, thank you. Um, and thanks for the pressure. Um, let me think how to word this. Um, how do you walk the line when you're covering something like wine in a country like Lebanon? How do you walk the line of talking about wine and talking about war or talking about? you know, the ugly parts and the pretty parts and not maybe glorifying certain things and shying away from certain things because these are all part of our story, right? That's the narrative we're trying to build is the real version of Lebanon, the one with all the nuances. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you choose what to focus on and what to elevate? Well,
1: are we talking about when I'm talking about wine commercially, whether I'm talking about wine in a setting like this. What's the difference? Well, if I'm talking about wine commercially, if I'm giving a talk yeah. in uh, London, mm-hmm. if, if I'm giving a talk in London about uh, Le- Lebanese wine and I'm trying to get people to buy into the idea of Lebanese wine, you've got to sell the country before you sell the winery. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I tell stories. And I think one way to get people to get behind the idea of Lebanon as a winemaking country is to tell stories. And there are, you know, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Chateau Bellevue from Mm Hamdoun, when, which was, the winery was created to heal the wounds of war. Because in Hamdoun, I think 350 of its residents were massacred, I think in 1981. So um, when I'm selling wine, when I'm selling the idea of Lebanon, trying to promote the idea of Lebanese wine, I will tell stories that I think will engage the industry or consumers, whatever, because it will make them remember things. I'll talk about the, you know, the, the Jesuits at Chateau Chattuxara. I'll talk about, um, about the history behind the Domaine de Tourelle, how a French railroad engineer came to Lebanon in and came to what was the Bekaa in the 1860s and founded, founded Domaine de Rel. So there are stories I will tell when I'm trying to sell. And then there's the other stories, which are the unvarnished stories, which are the story, story about Lebanese wine in relation to the country and how it all kind of interacts. Mm. How do I walk the line I don't see it as walking a line. I walk a line when I'm... I don't want to be associated with one wine producer over another. That's the line I walk, if I walk one at all. Because mm-hmm. I, be, I want to be seen to be equidistant. Even though at the moment, I'll be honest in full transparency, I do some consulting for Shatouk in the UK. It makes life... A little bit difficult but i try and be i try and be as impartial as i can
2: mm-hmm.
1: did
0: i answer it i think so okay
2: <laughs> do i have do. to do another one you'll
0: get another question later okay the gentleman behind you yes hello uh so my question in your opinion what do you think uh is actually stopping us from creating a uh, solid community of lebanese winemaker let's talk about like the boutique wines or the the small wineries now and by this community, we can partially take over maybe 1% of the global production, let's say.
1: It will be less than 1%. Fair. Much less. Um, In your opinion. So, so what you're saying is, if, if I understand you correctly, is why is, there, why is there not a greater spirit of cooperation between the Lebanese wine producers? What's stopping us?
0: Maybe Nothing. This.
1: Nothing. Ask them. Fair enough. No, I mean, I mean sorry, that, that sounded like a flippant answer, but no, I mean, we did try. In 2009, there was a, um, an initiative to do a generic campaign. By a generic campaign, we were trying to set, as I said, you've got to sell the country yeah. before a producer. You can stop someone on the street in London ask them to name a Chilean, go back to Chile again, a Chilean wine producer. They probably won't know, able to name one, but they'll know that Chile makes makes wine they've drunk no. Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon they you know so there, there was a move to do that and it lasted for with wines of Lebanon in the UK it lasted for four years and uh, sales increased by 25 percent over that four years so it was working okay. but a lot of the producers were doing well a lot of producers weren't picking up traction and as it, as it was all being self-funded, there was no government support, it fell apart because those producers who weren't seeing any return on their investment said, well, it's not working for me. And that made me realize that we Lebanese, we really are transactional people. They were spending, they weren't seeing a return. And they didn't understand that campaigns like this, A, they need to be Constant 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they need to work alongside the campaign to make that happen. The producers that got the best out of the campaign did that, the others who just thought the campaign would do all the work.
0: So, do it you didn't think happen. by creating some sort of an external funding that can work eventually?
1: Yeah, okay. I mean, it has to. There are the ABCs of how to promote wines abroad, and they're very simple, but you know, it, it involves it involves funding. The Lebanese government has spent, in some cases, obscene amounts of money, money that could have been spent wisely over a year. They'll spaff up a hundred grand in one event in Paris.
3: It's obscene. Um, I think my question is very closely related to the question right before, but maybe more from an onological side. Like uh, the story of New Zealand inspires me a lot. Like nobody really took new zealand seriously as wine until uh sauvignon blanc and the way that that completely became one of the most famous sauvignon blancs in the world couldn't lebanon find itself a story in that sense something that is synonymous with lebanon like you know our carignan and Sanso, or our thing that's on the bottle it's not like a story abstract that's just like an unlo- like something that people like to drink, uh, that would be famous, that would be the face of Lebanon. Is there an angle here? Like for Chile, the Bordeaux blend, the Carmenere Bordeaux blend thing, for Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand, what's Lebanon's most potential side to be that? Okay, you know, um, story?
1: yeah, well, we got to remember comparing us to- New Zealand is, it's not really, I mean, it's, it's not a fair comparison because you go into any supermarket in the UK and there are just legions of Sauvignon Blanc that, I mean, it's, they've just hammered that one. Uh, we don't have the volume to do that. But I like your question because, because it get back, gets back to my point on playing on our identity. And I think that we need to be very strategic in how we, we market our wines. The Beccar Valley, needs to be synonymous with with Lebanese uh, with with Lebanese wine the grapes the the, the the grapes that we that we use is Lebanon going to be cabernet sauvignon is it a cabernet sauvignon country no it's not He's just throwing another bottle of cab onto an already global pile the two red grapes that you mentioned carignan sanso they are our adopted children I think they were brought here by the Jesuits in the 1850s, and they are the grapes that we really should be hammering. They're Rhone grapes, they, they reflect our terroir, they're fruity, they, they do well here, Sanso in particular. Sanso does amazing things in the Bekaa. The Lebanese are just coming around to this. They were ripping it up in 2004, 2005, because they wanted their Cabernet Sauvignon, and their Melo, and their, you know, whatever, no, no, no. They were just jumping on a global bandwagon at the time. Sanso is our red, Carignan is up there, our whites, Marois, Abedi, Maksesi, all these beautiful grapes that can create an identity for ourselves. Bekar, you need these kind of motifs, marketing motifs and keep on plugging and plugging and plugging. But with 11 million bottles of which five and a half stay at home, it's difficult. It's really difficult, but we're getting there. I mean, maybe
3: like to focus less on us, just the whole the, yeah. Phoenician
0: thing. No, n- never mind. All right. No, because it doesn't make it to the episode. All right.
3: Yeah. But I mean, maybe like to, to focus less on the abstract story of the Phoenician traders and where we are and, you know, the mercantile Lebanese people and all things like that. And actually focus just on what's inside the bottle. Th- that's separate. I agree with you. Mm. Well, there's, n- there's no space
1: on the back. There's not enough space on the back label to tell that whole story. But when you can, it's good to remind people of Lebanon's heritage because people want authenticity. And just to remind them that we were, we were making wine long before anyone else and exporting it. But no, in a purely commercial sense, that, that hundred words you got on the back of your bottle to sell what you have has got to be about the Bekar Valley. It's got to be about the altitude because people think Lebanon is a hot country. So the reds are going to be jammy. The whites are going to be flabby. No, we tell them we plant our vines at 1,500 meters, 2,000 m- meters. So, so the whites are going to be really fresh. And, you know, I mean, that, those are the things that we need to play on. Yes, I agree. We need to separate. We can't tell the whole story. But if you're being purely commercial and, 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 and forensically commercial, then
4: yes, I agree with you. This is, this is probably quite a similar question. Um, gentleman mentioned New Zealand. You mentioned Chile and obviously Georgia as well. Chile went through something kind of very similar in some ways to Lebanon throughout the 1970s up to 1990s. Georgia obviously part of the Soviet Union until 1991, then you had 2008. Why have those been so kind of mitigated from being associated with, you know, buy these wines because the country needs you to buy these wines rather than buy these wines because they're extraordinarily good. What what can you know, we do, and what can the international community do outside of Lebanon to actually kind of, st- to take that conversation away from, okay, Bahamdun, X number of people died there, so therefore that's an interesting story. Is it an, is it an interesting story in terms of getting someone to buy that wine again and again and again, or is it an interesting story where someone turns up to a dinner party and says, here's a bottle of wine which, you know, came from a village where 40 years ago X number of people died?
1: I think in terms of Lebanese wine, it's always going to be the hand sell. It's always going to be the individual story because we don't have the gazillions of of Chilean wines um, to, to make people think that Chile is their favorite wine producing country. Our t- again, it's 10 million bottles. So when you do take a bottle of Lebanese wine to a dinner party in Los Angeles or Paris or Budapest or London, whatever, it's gonna be a talking point. Serge Hochar, with his Chateau Moussard in London in the late 70s, early 80s, managed to somehow get this idea that if you took a bottle of his wine and you opened it, you were, you were uncorking conflict. There was a whiff of war about every bottle of, of Moussard. Uh, Serge was an outlier in, in that sense. He played on war big time. But it made the wine a conversation piece. And I think we need to make our wines conversation
4: pieces. But but then to kind of, you know, compare to, say, Georgia, where the the suffering in Georgia is not a conversation piece, it's the techniques. It's going back to, you know, ancient quivery winemaking, which is now, like, you know, extraordinarily trendy in in London. Is, Is that not the route that the Lebanese winemakers need to go down? Is it not about kind of, you know... Moving away from you know what happened in the 1970s, 1980s, and actually going back to what happened three thousand years ago. Yeah. How was wine made then? What grapes were being used? Kind of et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. No. Well, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't explain it very well. I think what the whole point of what I was trying to say is we need to use our wine and our food and everything that's good and warm and gooey and sexy about who we are um, to 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 not. To, to avoid that narrative. We want to switch the narrative. Uh, maybe, using, maybe using Chateau Muzar was, was a bad example because he's a man that deliberately played on war. But I, I was referring to that, to the kind of hand sell um, issue. No, I think we need to plug away at all the good things about Lebanon to, to stop people talking about the conflict and the instability. Did I un- not understand you?
4: No, I think so, but I'm, I've just been kind of fascinated to watch, say, Maracel and Set, who've kind of actually really moved away from that narrative and have gone to talking about indigenous grapes, natural winemaking techniques, and, and wonder if, you know, if you go to the UK, there's a kind of, it's quite passé, isn't it, to go and say, well, this is another Cabernet Sauvignon. Absolutely. This is a French style. The, the market's saturated. Whereas, say, the natural winemaking, you know, market, that's where, you know, the, the growth is and is that maybe the route that more Lebanese yeah, winemakers yeah. need to go down to become something internationally um acknowledged as, as a as a as a as a winemaking country
1: i think for the general public even a bottle of Lebanese Cabernet Sauvignon is 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 enough it's powerful enough to make people think about about Lebanon in a different way if they haven't drunk Lebanese wine before i think the Marcel and the Set wines are really neat. Um, I don't think you need to go down. You don't think you need skin contact, it, to to convince people that 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 Lebanon is more than just bad stuff. I think. I think. I mean, personally, I think yes, Lebanon should be going down. Should be going down that road. But there's, you know, we we can do so much. We can have international style wines. We can have kind of uh fruity rhone um terroir driven wine so we can have the funky stuff i think they all fall into that umbrella which can help change the conversation
4: but i guess the the last question a bit they can't they can't compete on a price point no and and that's always going to be the thing which is really hard right because you know you're going to spend 30 pounds for a bottle of mid-range lebanese french style wine in the uk and you could buy a bottle of mid-style French wine in the UK for six pounds, and 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 so yes, that person might buy that bottle of wine that bottle of wine once, but they're not going to buy it again and again and again unless it's somehow unique or somehow differentiated from what is already an extraordinarily saturated market.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, not going to disagree with you, but I'm looking looking at a a kind of broader picture is that wine in general can help change the conversation. I think you're right. I think Lebanese wine is, is. I'm not going to say it's overpriced. I think it represents very, very good value. I think the cheapest Lebanese wine, again, in the, in the UK, it's one of the market I know really well, is going to come in at about £11 now. And I think at 11 pounds, it's probably nearly double the average spend, but you're still getting a lot of value there. Um, 30 pounds, mid-range wine. No, I I think you're being unfair. You buy a bottle of Chateau Xara Chateau for 25 pounds. You know, the Chardonnay, 23 pounds. It's not that expensive. And I think the the Marcel and the set are going to be nudging 30 pounds I think.
0: Was there another question, William? No, that's it.
5: (laughs) Hi, sorry, Um, not a well-formulated question, but I think the work that you're doing, what is doing in terms of marketing, Lebanese potential in the wine industry is very important. And again, going back to, let's say, the more political side of this too, where there's an absence of a government and a national strategy for anything related to Lebanon is how do you uh, move this forward with with that gap there and looking at the private sector being unable to mobilize together to, whether it's gastro-diplomacy, if you want to use that term of some sort, to rebrand Lebanon, including mine. And, and what is that tipping point to bring those two together is there any hope for that anytime soon
1: sorry can you rephrase
5: sure. can you uh, the looking question? at sorry. trying to marry the two of you here in the sense of the political side of there's no national strategy for anything related to rebranding lebanon at home or abroad and wine being a very fundamental potential for export, for industry, at home and abroad. How how did somehow bring those two two together besides the individual activities that whether you do or Farah does to rebrand what is happening at least in the microcosm of uh, wine?
0: And I'll attach to that question, it's an important question, keeping Lebanese here. So, for example, one of my earliest episodes was with Philippe Masoud, do you know, you know, Philippe, restaurant, Elili, New York. There was another one, Naila, I think, something like that. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think he has a footprint left in Lebanon. But this man grew up in Coral Beach. He's Mr. Hospitality in the U.S. And I think he's expanded now to California or he's thinking about it, whatever. He's not here. That's just one example. But in terms of trying to get someone like that, To work here, given how bad things are, I think it sort of, yeah, links to the question. He's better off there, selling fusion Lebanese food and Lebanese wine in his restaurants, than he is trying to start something here. Um, I'm not sure I really understood the
1: question, but I think that I think I made it worse. No, no, I think. I think that we, the the Lebanon has always, Lebanese business has always relied, unless someone corrects me, has always relied on the private sector. Um, We've always relied on, yeah, ourselves, our companies, the the money that we make to to sustain us. And I think the wine industry um, has to somehow pick itself up again and work together as one sector, because we're a tiny sector in a huge global market. And I think William explained the difficulties. We are competing with a lot of wine out there. And so we have to be different. But that, that's on a kind of commercial level. We have to be different. But I think in terms of just as I'm, I'm repeating myself a lot now, but just the idea of all these assets that we have are also very useful. So there are two levels we need to work on. We need to be strategic in business and we need to be, but we can also you know, look at the bigger picture and bathe in the glory of all the things that we have at our disposal and sell them.
0: But could I go back to the question? I wanted to maybe understand it better. Were you talking about just having a bad environment here? Was that really the emphasis of the question? could could you just pass through the mic oh there's two yeah
5: no again just going back to the the fact that we have no national strategy for anything no government no functioning structure to get lebanon out of this mess and then looking at the wine industry or any industry that could generate income at home provide some stability some future for young people to keep them here as well as go abroad to uh, to feed the the, the remittances and other things mm. here so it's going back to the issue of as you said, uh, Michael, sorry, that we just, the private sector's just gotta drive it themselves. There is no national strategy like Chile or other countries to Mm. say, we will look 50 years ahead and we will invest in this industry. Nobody's making that strategic decision, even though there are, let's say, donors like USAID and others saying, okay, yeah, we will invest in wine now. We'll invest in these different sectors, but it's sporadic, right, you know? Mm. Um, And so, again, I was just looking to see if there's, any potential inspiration maybe from some of these other cases that would wake up some of these uh, let's say decision makers to think about yes we want to identify a couple of key industries to take forward and invest with a longer term view but i probably answered my own question that it is very unlikely right now but it's a
0: good question it reminds me of a discussion i attended maybe 10 years ago i don't remember when It was an AUB initiative trying to get olive oil exporters to do the same thing but it's the same discussion i think private sector you tell me if if you see it this way i think private sector is really just a part of the story it doesn't compensate the rest in other words a failed lebanon you will never have really what we're talking about you need a functioning lebanon Mm. yeah so there is a prerequisite to this anyway Uh, The gentleman had a question at the table. Yes. Um, So I lived in Lebanon
3: for a long time, and then I left for also quite a long time, and I was never a wine person. I was huge into beer. Um, And then I fell in love with wine abroad, and it was only later upon coming back that I realized, wait a second, isn't Lebanon a wine country? So also, um, there's the angle of the local domestic market, and when you go to a wine shop here, there's also quite some competition from Italian and French wines locally. And I think back and if I was a wine person that left Lebanon, I would have been spreading the wine love of Lebanon far and wide. And I just completely squandered that opportunity and never told anyone that Lebanon was in fact a wine country. So, how do you see like the domestic market some way we can locally uh you know have more appetite for the local brands, for local wines, as opposed to the fancy and also well-priced international uh, Uh, wines. Don't get me started. (laughs) Um,
1: We Lebanese, and I say we Lebanese, because I can say it when I say we, we are such snobs. (laughs) And when we see bottle that says Bordeaux on the label, and the label's colourful and attractive. And we see a bottle of uh, Breteche from Kifraya. We're romantically, because we're Lebanese, we're outward looking, we want to impress people, we're going to go for the French bottle or the Italian bottle or whatever other foreign wines local importers have been able to source and fiddle with the invoicing and then overprice. That's what happens. We need, to, um, we need to reinforce the idea that our wine is as good as anyone else's and tell people that 120 million bottles of wine are made in Bordeaux every year, of which a fraction of the stuff of legend, the stuff they think they're drinking. Bordeaux is a wine region like anywhere else. So we got to eradicate this idea, but it, it's very hard to do because it's embedded in us that the foreign is better. And the restaurants don't, don't help matters. I remember about 10 years ago, I was, at a wine, I was in a restaurant in the downtown and the wine list had, you know, Bordeaux, Burgundy, California museums, and then at the back, local wines. It's horrible. It's so deflating, you know. You're just gonna, no, it's all wrong. So there's got to be an attitude, um, and yeah, that's it. Education. Yeah, because it's uh, happening. Sorry to interrupt you. It's happening, and ever since the 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 banking the banking crisis, people are drinking a lot more Lebanese wine because it's more affordable.
3: But do they still think it's as good as as the the, the so-called
1: better stuff that's imported? I'm not sure because
3: yeah. when you're thinking about all the diaspora especially all the people that left in the past 3, 4 or 5 years, you're thinking about thousands of little ambassadors of Lebanon around the world and they could be little ambassadors of wine as they well. They could do, yes
0: Miss else? Farah Oh,
1: sorry Sorry, c- can I just add something? I mean, the bottle of British, that you'd be thrown out of someone's house if you took it to a dinner party in Beirut, um, is really respected abroad by, by, by the top wine professionals who respect the acidity and the fruit and, the, and, the, and everything else that, that goes, on, go, goes into this wine. And I wish the typical Lebanese consumer would see how the wines that they would sniff at generally are so respected abroad. It's a shame.
2: You are going to talk about the history of wine in the region. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Do you have five hours, Michael? How long have you
3: got? <laughs> <laughs> As build.
1: No, no, no. I think I think in a quick potted history, the modern Lebanese wine industry. Forget forget the seven thousand years that Lebanese man. That had a relationship with fermented fruit. Forget the three and a half thousand years ago when the Phoenicians started, uh, started exporting their wines. Forget the two thousand years ago when the Romans built the temple of Bacchus in Baalbek. Let's go to 1856, which is the genesis, I believe, of the modern Lebanese wine industry. So we're in the middle of the 19th century. Jesuits are in the Bekar spreading the word. They decide that they want to make a dry red wine, not sweet church wine that they're making for, for church services. They go to Algeria, second biggest wine producing country in the world at the time. They bring back Sansot, Grenache, Carignan vines. They go back to the bekar and they plant it. That, that, that is, I believe, the, the ground zero of the modern Lebanese wine industry. Then you have a few more accidents of history. You call them uh, uh, Francois Eugène Brun, the French railroad engineer, comes to the Bekar 1868 founds Domaine de Tourelle again so the idea of wine of a dry wine in the Bekar, you know takes root uh, end of the first world war the Ottomans are defeated the the Ottoman territories are handed to the victorious allied powers British and French and um, Lebanon what well, is now Lebanon is given to the French they bring in 50,000 soldiers and civil servants they want wine I think the average French soldier was allowed a liter and a half of wine a day, so there was demand. The word was put out across the country, so another accident of history created this momentum um, of of a wine culture. And then, when France left in nineteen forty three, Lebanon was independent. This notion of being French still still remained, um, and that's why you know our, our wine industry is very much French. Um, To this day. Our winemakers are trained in France. We blend in a very French way. So the francophone culture is very much rooted in the Lebanese wine industry. And I don't think that's a bad thing, because France is so woven into our modern identity that I think we can get away with it. We're not just copying the French so yeah, and that's it. And then, if you want another milestone, was the the so-called discovery of Chateau Muzar at the Bristol Wine Fair in 1979. Um, Michael Broadbent at the time, who was a big wine guy, championed Muzar, that put the Lebanese wine f- flag on the world wine map, and that's where we are today. So a combination of of the Jesuits and this idea of Lebanon being French has managed to snowball the idea of a wine culture in this country and uh, more than any other in the
0: region. What a great answer. You pulled it off. (laughs) The history of Lebanese wine in four minutes? You did it. Flawless. Uh, (laughs)
4: Thank you. um, um, It,
0: It was really good. Oh, sorry sorry ronnie oh tom um, yes yeah tom
4: yeah <laughs> ronnie thank you michael great great to hear you um i was just gonna maybe just suggest two moments in history that you didn't mention but um how about making more of the place where it is said at least that jesus turned the water into wine that's that's in lebanon in kana it's a big cv I mean, moment isn't it you know that how about opening a winery in, in South Lebanon, in Ghana? Oh, really? Oh, there is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's an important moment in, his, in history. And maybe the other one I, that came to mind was how Chateau Muzin was, was started. Wasn't it a British officer that was here, Major Ronald Barson, who did a deal with Hoshar? And yeah, he, no.
1: The winery had already started. By right. Then. The winery was founded yeah. in 1930. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, Ro- um, Ronald Barton was yeah. was in the army serving here. Who was on uh, leave. under, he, under he, Spears? Was, yeah, he, yeah. Well, yeah, I think he was 43. on leave because I've got a letter from the Hoshar family in which Barton was on leave here. He met the Hoshars. That that meeting initiated a great family friendship that right. lasts until today yeah. and the letter was written from some theater of operations in in egypt or uh, libya yeah. saying yeah. i miss beirut but the wine i took back with me was enjoyed and uh, clearly Bart. i think barton survived the war yeah. so yeah 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 well uh,
4: good stories yeah. At least. <laughs> thanks
0: thank you tom any other questions? Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe we can start. Yes, and then we'll end it with Farah.
5: Just one final question. Uh, do you think we could get to a point where wine is no longer on the agenda to start with because we can't drink it anymore? Do you think with the way things are going now in Lebanon, we can get to a point where wine is no longer there to start with and we have to do it illicitly because we can't drink it anymore?
1: Do you seriously think that is... That is a possibility. Why not? Because I don't think that... Okay, let me answer that question. If that ever happened, then the Lebanon that I know wouldn't, wouldn't exist anymore.
5: So could we get to this point?
1: I hope not. I don't think so. No, I really don't think so. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. But no, I don't think so.
0: Uh, was that a hand in the back? no oh okay sorry i thought i saw a hand so, by the way that lady almost started a war last episode she asked such a good ep- such a good question the audience started shouting at each other and the <laughs> guest was shouting at the audience i had to end the episode i'm like everyone go home <laughs> so if you have a question please share it you can this is th- quite tame then well oh, this is very very diplomatic tonight <laughs> because she hasn't asked a question yet no question sorry do you have a question tonight no okay it's a topic you don't really have a good uh <laughs> anger issue with <laughs>
2: uh, i actually wanted to address the question that you asked because there are some national if you want initiatives being made in a way but i don't know how successful they're they're really being given everything that's working against them so the national wine institute is has been revived and it's trying to implement this like six-part plan that they announced at Orica last month, but I feel that it's pretty ambitious given everything that, like, given our reality. But there is some kind of thing trying to be um, worked out. Whether or not it'll actually have you know results is something else. Um, and then there's also a project with USAID and Texas trying to um, export 15 mid-sized wineries, but also that's something that's you know, under construction and I don't know what the results will look like and it's hard to tell at this point. So there are things that are happening, but I don't know if they're happening right or if they're happening yeah, big enough or consistent true. enough. And I think the two problems are um, like cohesive cooperation and funding. and it's <laughs> uh, Michael, you wanted to chime in?
0: No, I wanted to ask a oh, question. Course. Oh, uh, but if you of to- course, please.
2: Okay, well. Do you want the question or do you want to? No. Okay. Uh, the question was, um, given the work that you've done with Now Lebanon and all the writing work, the journalism that you were doing before you got into wine, do you feel like that has affected how you cover the industry? your background and like your history in politics or in covering the Lebanon of the early 2000s and that version of Lebanon you were like trying to cultivate with, you know, Ronnie and other people. Do you feel like that has affected how you view the industry and how you cover it and how you talk about it?
1: I don't think so. No, I I think I started covering wine because I was a business reporter with executive. Uh, when I first took over, as e- when I took over as editor of executive in 2001, one of the first things I wanted to do was, a, I don't know, lead from the front. So I said, I'm going to write the cover story this month. And I wrote a cover story on the wine industry. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. There are some really interesting characters here. Um, and it just started from there. So I, I started writing about it from a business angle initially, because I didn't really know much about wine, about you know, about wine per se, the product. But I knew more about the industry. Um, it was only um, later on that I began to take take the exams and to and to know, you know, more about the grapes and how they, you know, how certain grapes thrive in certain areas and 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 so on. So, so I think it was my journalism background that informed how I covered it. And don't get me started on the USAID project in Texas.
2: I'm sure we could talk about it.
1: Okay. <laughs> I think they've managed to sell 100 cases so far on the quite considerable money has been spent. They sold 100 cases to sympathetic Lebanese restaurants right. in, in the area. If you want to crack the US, you do not begin in Texas. Yeah, sorry.
0: Let me wrap up the episode in a way that's eloquent enough to justify your own journey. Uh, and I'll start with an unusual angle. Um, this is the first episode that wraps up on time. And that's thanks to these two in the background, William and Neve. Uh, I started doing this podcast at Alia's in February. We always scheduled 7 to 9. We'd start around 7.30 and end around 11 p.m. (laughs) We're sticking to the time this time, which I'm actually proud of us for doing this. So we're wrapping up at 9. (laughs) Although, honestly, I could keep talking to you for hours and hours and hours. Also, thanks to both for the AC, it changes the mood entirely we're not sweating we don't smell bad at the end no no one is shouting no one is pissed off we're all happy i like the ac on um and there's wine in the room maybe that's the magic trick wine all lebanese wine uh i want to try to find a way to wrap all of this up in a way that's in a way it makes sense i share your sentiment her bleak analysis no not fear what i see happening may not be exactly how you described it it may be something else i fear not what she fears i fear the breakdown turns into partition and turns into a smaller lebanon that's not all inclusive or cosmopolitan it's one flavor that lebanon i think may emerge and I think it doesn't matter who's in Baabda, who doesn't matter who's prime minister, doesn't matter. I think that component will not go extinct. That's where I disagree. But I think it will turn into something else, And that's already begun. It's not a matter of doing episodes with extremists. I've met many of them. What did you call them the Maronite Headbangers Ball? What did you call? It was a great name for the band? I, it. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. But that is not a fringe view. And it was there in the 1980s. It didn't materialize. I think it's materializing slowly. So that's where I share the bleak sentiment that the cosmopolitan Lebanon may not survive. Something within it may turn into something that feels slightly familiar, but I don't think it's the Lebanon we grew up in. The second thing, um, there are things that survive but they don't shine. Freedom of expression exists in Lebanon at such a huge cost. Yes, you can still write about many subjects, to a point. You can pretty much talk about everything, to a point. But you and I both know too many people that died on that journey. So yeah, there is still a functioning uh, press. It's digital today. There are activists that still try that's all true, but their intimidation, it feels familiar. And you started your journey in the late 90s, early 2000s. I did an episode with Jean Assir maybe a month ago, and we referred to an article written in the Daily Star from 2001. Maybe you were there, or maybe it was just as you were leaving. His uncle had the same situation as him, except it's not this era it's syrian occupation but if you just look at the last names and who's bullying who it's familiar and that's 20 years ago something else um you're from the pre-war generation i didn't know how old you were until you mentioned it tonight i'm the civil war generation and many in the room are post-war generation I think the hope at the end is that there are still people like you, Farah, and there are still institutions like Aliaz, and there's still something that feels right in this country. There is still a wine market in Lebanon. That is still good, yes. And I think maybe wine, you will always have wine. You will always have wine producers and vineyards in this part of the world. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the Lebanon that I want to see down the road. I think it's an unrecognizable one with shades of an older lebanon that we both grew up in and now lebanon even though people don't talk about it today now lebanon was a shining star i wrote my first op-ed in now lebanon maybe 18 years ago 17 years ago you were there uh the server went with the blast all those articles from roughly a decade disappeared with the blast but i got my writing gig started through now lebanon thanks to you so i'll end it on that note thank you for still loving this country and it's an honor to catch you on your short trip it's a thrill to speak to you everyone whenever you find lebanese wines buy it because it's out of out of print i have a an original copy and check out uh what is it called the tears of bacchus thank you it's an, it's a book michael Karam edited It's on the barrel in the back, and what's the new book?
1: The it's well, it's pregnant. <laughs> it's it was pregnant. meant to, it was meant to come out three years ago. I need to rewrite it and it's
0: yeah. Okay, it's, so the title it's is It's Pregnant. Subject. It's
1: a sore it's a sore <laughs> subject. But oh, I see. Can I just say it's been great fun to be here? Uh again, thank you to Alias Books for hosting it. I love the place, it's great. And uh and just keep up the fight, guys
0: everyone check out wine and war on Amazon prime and we're gonna head to the bar and end the episode on time thank you
2: thank you